hello again. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. Hope you're well. If you're in COVID lockdown, like many of us still are here in Australia, I hope you're surviving it okay and keeping sane. It seems like there is some light at the end of the tunnel. But in the meantime, a great time for listening to podcasts and for reading things. And so great to have you here and listening again on this partner-only edition this week of The Painful Truth. And thank you once again to the many of you who've recently renewed your subscription for the year. I really appreciate the support that you give in doing that. It helps me to do this each week. Now, where are we up to? We're in the middle of a series on faith, love and hope. And this is part two on the subject of love and what love really is in the Christian life. And we finished part one of that exploration last week really with more questions than answers. It made me think of Don Carson's little book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, and maybe it, we need a counterpart that says The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of Christians. But we made some progress, at least, in last week's explorations. We figured out that love is deeply connected with goodness in some way, with perceiving something to be good and reaching out towards it, being inclined or attracted towards it wanting to embrace it and enjoy it and to see it grow in its goodness and become that good thing it can be, we saw that love draws us out of ourselves to focus on some good beyond ourselves, whether that's the good of a beautiful piece of music that we might say that we love or the good of seeing someone healed or fed or saved or the ultimate good of God himself, of the God who made all these goods. And this is why love is the opposite, not just of hate, but of selfishness and pride. Love rejoices in the truly good that we see out there beyond ourselves for its own sake. But we finished last week with some questions about all of this. If love is related to the good in some ways, if love is our response to something that is good, we see it and we love it because it's good, how does that relate to unconditional love, love that reaches out to others who are undeserving, or who aren't good, and of course, classically, God's love for us as sinners. Well, we can learn from the past in trying to answer this question, and especially from others who've thought about it at some depth, and I'm thinking particularly of Augustine, good old Saint Augustine, who thought deeply about this subject. And his insight was that love was really a kind of knowledge a kind of heartfelt, affective knowledge, you might say. Knowledge that not only understood, intellectually speaking, that something was good, but that reached out towards it and yearned for it and acted accordingly. And so he suggested that love was of two kinds. A rational love, as he called it, that is a love that perceives something to be good and reaches out towards it to embrace it and a benevolent love that acts upon that affection or that heartfelt knowledge to seek the good for others rather than ourselves. Now if this is the case, argued Augustine, if this is what love really is like, then true love depends on the true goodness of that which is loved. It depends, in other words, on God's own goodness ultimately, and on the good world that he has created, full of good things and good people, though fallen of course, and 
good purposes. Love doesn't just arise within us as a sentiment or feeling. It relates to some real and good thing that we love. It's drawn out of us by some good thing that is worth loving. Love requires an object or purpose that is truly good. Now, if we're going to bring this philosophical talk down to something more practical, we know this is true. If I want to be loving towards someone, to be gracious or kind towards them in some way, it requires me to know them and to know what would be good for them. The intention or motive to love on its own is not enough. And so, for example, to give an extreme example, let's say I threw myself off a cliff to demonstrate how much I loved my wife. That would be folly, not love. It would achieve or seek no good thing. In fact, it would do quite the opposite. However, if I was to throw myself in front of a bullet for my wife, that indeed would be love because it would seek to protect and prolong that good thing that I love so very much, which is her life. In other words, for love to be real and true, it must constantly think about good and evil. It must make judgments between good and evil. Let love be genuine, says Paul. Abhor the evil, cleave to the good. That's in Romans 12.9. Without a true knowledge of what is good, it's impossible to truly love. Now, this seems a little strange to us as modern people, but that's because we are modern people, very much influenced by the attitudes and thought processes of our world. Because in our world, love doesn't need any kind of secure or true object. In our world, love is simply love. That's why our world is so confused about the subject. Our world has rejected the idea that things can be objectively good or that people are objective goods. Goodness now for us rests entirely in the eye and the heart of the beholder. Whatever I love is good by definition because I've decided to love it. And who are you to tell me otherwise? In our world, Love exists entirely within the subject, within me, and I create love and loving relationships simply by who or what I choose to love. Love is love, as the slogan goes. But as Augustine famously pointed out, it's impossible to truly love another person without understanding them and who they are, and ultimately without understanding them as God's creature, because that's who we really are, made in his image, made for his purposes, and made for fellowship with him. He truly loves his friend, wrote Augustine, who loves God in his friend, either because God is in his friend, or that he may be so. Love that quote. I'm going to read that again. He truly loves his friend, who loves God in his friend, either because God is in his friend, or that he may be so. It's impossible to... To truly love someone, says Augustine, without understanding who they are and who they're destined to be in God and as God's creature. And perhaps we're starting to see why faith is the foundation of love in the New Testament. Because by faith, we receive a whole new mind, a new understanding of 
reality and meaning and everything in Jesus Christ. Our eyes are open to comprehend what is truly good and evil because by faith we leave behind the nonsensical, silly rejection of God and the wicked rejection of God that we have been involved in and we leave behind the darkened and futile way of thinking that we had that resulted from that. We come to see God and each other and the good world we live in, the good though fallen world, as they really are. We come to see God's purposes, his good purposes for the world in the kingdom of his son. We come to understand what we're really like and what we're for as people and what other people are for and what the world is about and what it is for. We are liberated from our proud, selfish, kind of inwardly focused life. That old life is now dead and gone in Christ and we're set free to love, to love God and to love our neighbour. Faith, in other words, wakes us up to a a new life, a new Christ-centred life that works itself out in love, as Galatians 5.6 says. That's what really matters, says Paul. That's what Christ has liberated us for, a new life of love. It's as if in Christ God has spread out a whole new table of goodness in front of us and invited us to love it. Well, perhaps we're getting a little closer to being able to define what love really is, the love that God calls us to and creates in us through the death of his Son and through his Spirit, the love that is that middle term in faith, love and hope. Here's my attempt at a definition. Let me try this. Based on faith and energised by faith in God's revelation, Love is the knowledgeable perception and admiration of a God-given good beyond ourselves, leading us to enjoy or participate in that good and to act benevolently for its fulfilment. Okay, I'll give you that again because it's a bit complicated. Based on and energised by faith in God's revelation, Love is the knowledgeable perception and admiration of a God-given good beyond ourselves, leading us to enjoy or participate in that good and to act benevolently for its fulfilment. Now, you might want to chew over that definition at your leisure and help me improve it. But here are some implications. This understanding of love shows us what's happening when we love. We see someone lacking in some good, some good thing, whether that might be food or clothing or shelter or warmth or fellowship or encouragement. And because we perceive it would be for their good, their God-given and God-directed good to receive that good thing, we gladly help them obtain it, even to our own cost. That's love. It's seeing some good and acting to achieve it or fulfill it for the sake of others. Now, in that example I've just given, the good we're seeking is something that hasn't yet come to be. It's a future possible good. It's something lacking or something in prospect. And benevolent, active love is very often like this. It acts to bring something good into being 
or to fruition. And that's how God's love for the sinner fits into this picture. His supreme love for us in sending his son to die for us and why it's the prime example of love for us to follow. Because God so loved us and so loved the world, not because we were already good, but that we might become so through the atoning death of his son. He was seeking a glorious good that he'd planned since before the foundation of the world. When, as it says in Ephesians 1, in love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. This love of God in seeking our good to his own cost, it not only shows us what love is like, but it initiates a new life of love for us. It sets us on a new path of love by setting us free to love others and calling on us to love others as he has loved us. This understanding of love that we've been exploring also clarifies why love is the kind of summary or capstone of all Christian virtue, it seems to me, and why all the laws of the Old Testament um, and all the spirit-given character traits of the New Testament are summed up by love. As Paul says in Romans 13.10, love does or literally works no evil to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's interesting that he puts it that way, that love is the opposite of doing evil. In other words, love is pursuing the good for the neighbour and therefore is the fulfilling of the law. But this is true of the character traits that we often see associated with godly Christian living and with love in the New Testament as well. For example, patience, which is mentioned in connection with love in 1 Corinthians 13 and is one of the fruits of the Spirit. You could say that patience is that aspect of love that is prepared to pursue and wait for the good over time, knowing that in this fallen world, the good is often elusive or slow to arrive. Or you could say that gentleness, another fruit of the Spirit, that gentleness is that aspect of love that restrains and directs my strength for the good of others who might be overpowered by it, and so on. All the different aspects of the Christian life are in many ways different facets of the diamond that is love. It's interesting, when I think about words like godliness or even holiness, I sometimes think of them, and I think I'm quite wrong in thinking this, but I sometimes think of them as almost solitary pursuits, as if they relate solely to the quality of my quiet time or the purity of my thoughts or the integrity of my actions or the truthfulness of my words and so on. But the primacy of love as a description of Christian living reminds us that the distinctive godly, holy character we now seek to clothe ourselves in is in essence an outwardly focused character. It's a pursuit of what is truly good for all those around me. And finally, as an implication of this understanding of love, it shows us that there really can't be any artificial distinction between love as the basic shape of Christian character and living and ministry as the basic activity of Christian fellowship, if I can put it that way. The gospel reveals the ultimate good that 
we pursue, the good that is found in God and in the kingdom of his crucified and risen son. And so we speak the truth in love to everyone around us in order to build Christ's body. We want to see everyone around us come to know Christ and to become strong in faith and love and hope in him because that's the great good of all our lives. It's what we were made for. And we see this in the classic 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 passage, the the passage that speaks so much about love, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is the more excellent way, in 1 Corinthians 13, that shapes all Christian activity, especially in our fellowship in church with one another. It's the zealous pursuit of love, according to chapter 14, verse 1, which should drive all of us to seek and practice prophecy, the mutually encouraging word ministry of which prophecy is the classic example. Love is the basis of all Christian ministry, and all Christian ministry is an exercise of love. When we preach or evangelize or teach, when we do any of those things, we are simply loving. But I can see my one another edifying speech mutual word ministry hobby horse sidling up to me at this point and begging me to take it for a ride and that probably means it's time to draw this to a conclusion love rightly understood is a superb summary of the new life that arises from faith in christ faith without love is dead and equally true love without faith is impossible Well, I hope that's answered some of the questions and that this exploration of love, somewhat brief and inadequate though it's been, has been helpful. And especially in helping to clarify that love has to have a connection with the good. And even God's love, and especially God's love for us as sinners, his gracious love, his love for us, undeserving as we were, is equally a a love that's connected with the ultimate good, with the great good that God sees for us in Christ and recreates for us in him. And it strikes me as I keep thinking about these things that perhaps the reason love is such a floppy, sentimental kind of wishy-washy thing in our contemporary society and therefore a kind of word that we sometimes avoid in talking about the Christian life, perhaps for that reason, that behind that kind of wishy-washy, sentimental, kind of vacuous sense of love is the way that our culture over the last couple of hundred years has so decisively rejected the idea that there might be some real good in the world that is objectively good outside of our perception of it. As we've rejected God, and as we've rejected the idea that the world is a created place, created as a good world, though fallen by God, we've also lost touch with the idea that love might have an objective connection with what is truly good, that love is about embracing the good and avoiding the evil. Well, thanks once again for being here on The Painful Truth this week, and thanks for your continued contact and comments and encouragement. I really do appreciate that. Uh, If you want to get in touch with me, just send an email to tonyjpain at me.com, or you can leave a comment Uh, on the website at the web version of this post at thepainfultruth.online. And please feel free to share, of course, to spread the word about The Painful Truth uh, and to encourage others with speaking the truth in love to them by sharing some of these words with them as well. Well, great to be with you again. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.